But um, Acts chapter 5 is kind of like the season that we are in as a church right now at the moment. Um, and if you have the time to read it on your own time, you can go past the verses that we are going to cover this morning. Um, but it has a lot to do with commitment. Amen. It has a lot to do with how committed you are to the task that God has given you. Um, but if you go with me to the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we'll start this first segment. And then throughout the weeks of the month of August, we're going to be tackling this whole chapter uh, and, and see what the Lord's uh, message to us as a church is um, in this time and season. But the word of God reads like this, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and uh, brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last breath or left the ghost. The ghost left her. Her spirit left her. She died. This is interesting. Powerful. And when the young men came and they found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Um, let, let us look on the bright side of this passage. Because <laughs> you guys look scared. Um, but let us look on the bright side of this passage that we just read this morning. At least the offerings will be a bit more generous this next month of August. <laughs> if that didn't encourage you to give, then I don't know what, <laughs> what will. <laughs> um, but, you know, although we're captivated by the idea of money in this passage, we, you know, we think of the idea of money, at least. That's what captures our mind out of this whole scripture, money. Did you know that this passage, uh, and it was a true account, it is a true account of what had happened to this couple. Did you know that it had to do little with riches and money? The point and the lesson of this passage of scripture is not about the money. It's much more deeper than that. But it's, it's really about how serious God takes our word when we say something. It's how serious God takes our word when we say we're going to do something. And although we are captivated by the topic of money and riches and the proceeds, 
But it proves something about almost every person in this room or even the people that are watching on our live stream. And I want you to just take this thought into consideration. When it comes to money, if you're not careful, everything else in your life goes blank. At the sight of money, our minds go blank and we are tempted to lose touch of reality. At the sight of money and the thought of money, we begin to lose touch of our morality. And number three, at the thought and the sight of money, we begin to lose touch of fidelity because of money. How do I know this? Because you didn't quickly focus on the lesson of the passage. I guarantee you the first thing you thought of was this couple is giving. Giving a portion of his land sale probably was a good amount, but here is the problem. It wasn't the whole amount. That's the problem. It wasn't the amount that in their heart God knew that they were supposed to give. And you know, it wasn't the amount that they had covenanted to bring to God. This couple had held back. This couple had limited the original amount. This couple had cut short what they said and what they had established to bring unto the Lord. Now I want you to see this. They had established to bring it unto the Lord so that it would be a blessing to the community. It wasn't for the apostles. This was something regular. Why? If you go to chapter 4, and don't go there. I'm just going to recount for you. If you want to read it on your own, you can. But at the end of chapter 4, the Bible says that there was great grace upon Peter. So much grace that um, uh, they began to see the need of the vision, the people. Peter didn't say, go sell your land and, you know, and go uh, uh, give and you know, go and sow. No, out of the abundance of what God was doing in the life of that community, they began to sell their properties. They began to give. They began to establish uh, a welfare, a welfare system for the church community, the Christ community. There was a time when the church was a welfare to the community. Now we are welfared by the society. It shouldn't be that way. The church has the power to be a welfare system for the community. And this word proves it. When the heart of the people is in the right place. When the heart of the people is in the right place, the church can do great things for the community. When the heart of the people is in the right place, the church can go beyond the expectations of society. Amen? We have the power to make a difference in our community. We have the power to make a difference in the families. We have a power to make a difference in our city. We have the power to make a difference in the state. With so many churches in the city of Fresno, we ought to be maintaining all of the city of Fresno. Let's just get real. How many want honesty a little bit? Amen. Do you want honesty? With as many churches as there are in the city of Fresno, we ought to be maintaining all of the city. But because the agenda is so selfish. Because the people of God are selfish. And we are not kingdom minded. The principle of the people is not the kingdom. It is my interest. What is my interest? What do I get out of it? What is my benefit? But this word teaches us that when the people's heart is in the right place, we can make a great impact for the world. We can make great impacts for our communities. We can make great impacts in our schools. But we have to have the mindset that God has called us to set aside something. And so the, the, the ministry of Peter 
was flowing and people were being healed and he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden the people were steered up in the giving, the heart of giving and they begin to sow, they begin to sell their properties and they begin to bring the money at the apostles' feet to be able to uh, distribute to the need of the community. Now check this out. I know that you didn't see that lesson because the world has instructed us and it taught us that when it comes to money, it is a sensitive subject. But money is not my God. It is my resource. It is my tool. When I look at money, I don't see something that owns me. I see something that I own, that I'm able to distribute. It does not dictate the way I think. It will not dictate the way that I respond. It will not dictate the way that I, uh, my responses and my impulses and my decisions. Money cannot do that. Money has that and doesn't have that power over my life. But for some it does. And it just teaches us that when we read this story, we automatically think about, well, he was giving. Why would he die? When we get deeper into this segment, we start understanding that when you're not doing what God has for you to do, it becomes a death to us spiritually. It becomes a death to us spiritually. And so I know that you didn't quickly focus on the lesson of the passage. And I guarantee the first thing that you thought of, about was, why did, why did they fall over and die in terror if they were giving? If they were giving a part of the proceeds? The problem wasn't the amount that they gave. The problem was is that they didn't give what... Uh, God knew in their heart they were supposed to give. But, you know, just understand this. This couple held back. They limited the original amount and they cut short the blessing of God. You know, have you ever encountered somebody that went back on their word with you? Have you ever had somebody that went back on their word with you? How do you feel about them? Stay in the spirit. Come on now. Don't get in the flesh. I rebuke that. And more than anything, if it wasn't their first time going back on their word with you. You know, I've had my share of flakes. <laughs> you know, I, I've had my share of no-shows. You know, I've had my share of backouts. I, I've had my share of people that I entrusted my confidence in. And, and I remember lending out money to with a date of return. Right? You said, hey, I'm going to lend you this money. And, you know, oh, yeah, I'll pay you back. You know, I just need to get through this time. You know, I'll pay you back. And. You're waiting, and, 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 and then on the day of return, you know, uh, because you got necessities and bills, you're expecting for them to meet their word on returning back to you what they borrowed. You didn't ask them for no more. You didn't charge them interest. You just wanted back what you lent to them, right? Because you had the water that you needed to pay, and you have your light that you need to pay. But then they come on the day of, you know, and they're, they're saying, hey, I'm on the way to go and drop off the money. You're like, oh, man, you know, man, this bro is faithful, man. Hey, man, you know, I just, this, this dude is cool, you know. And then he shows up. He's like, hey, bro, I just want to let you know that it's half. <laughs> it's kind of like you're testing my spirit, bro. You're testing my faith. You're testing my morality. But then, you know. They get there with a smile, you know, with the tenacity to smile. Hey, bro, how's it going? You know, shaking your hand, you know, hey, how you doing? And then they drop the, hey, I only got a portion of it, bro. That's, I, I was trying, you know, and, and, uh, you know. And then in your mind, you're like, you shouldn't have borrowed what you couldn't pay back. Right? In your mind, now you got to put them on the 
don't lend to them list. Right? We all know somebody like that. Right? We all know somebody like that. But, you know, the death of Ananias and, and Sapphira here in Acts 5, you know, it's, it's kind of frightful and puzzling, to be honest. You know, the two, being a married couple, they sell a piece of property and publicly give the proceeds to the community. However, they secretly, somebody say secretly, they secretly hold back a portion of the money for themselves. And you know, and Peter detects the deception and confronts the two separately. And you know, it's interesting because merely hearing the accusation of Peter causes each of them to fall dead on the spot. Look at the conviction. And quite frankly, to our ears, their faith seems out of proportion to their infraction. So why does lying about the money bring instant death to this couple? You know, there have been plenty of attempts that have been made to describe the reason for their deaths and even simply to name the sin that they committed here. Because it seems like they're doing something right. And they die for something that seems right. But I want to get deeper so that you understand God's message out of this story of Ananias and Sapphira. It appears that fundamentally that simply Ananias and Sapphira's transgression is that they are counterfeit, counterfeit community members. That's their problem. They were filled with the fakeness. And I really respect the commentary given by Scott Barchi. You know, he says about this couple, he says, by lying in order to achieve an honor they had not earned. Ananias and Sapphira not only dishonored and shamed themselves as patrons, but also revealed themselves to be outsiders and non-kin. They are not so much misers as imposters. And you might say, well, what does misers mean? A miser is somebody that has a lot of money but hoards it. Tries to spend little of it. Right? And what he says here, you know, what Barchi is saying, he says, they're not misers more than they are outsiders. Man. And so you got to understand this because when we are failing to do what we said that we would do for God, and when we fail to keep our word that we have given to God, what we are displaying is not that we don't trust what we have or we're being greedy or we're being hoarders. What we are displaying really in reality is that we're non-kin. We're outsiders. Because when you believe in something, you give it. You believe in the necessity of that car, so you pay the payment. You ain't understanding what I'm saying. I'm going to get a little deeper. Okay? You believe in the power of having a roof over your head. So you pay your mortgage or your rent. <laughs> you believe in the luxury of having warm water. So you pay your light. Right? <laughs> you believe so much in the necessity of having a shower. So you pay your water. You believe so much in that pancita of yours that you set aside your money to buy groceries. Right? And so when you, when you believe truly and you're passionate about the things of the Lord, you'll keep your word. 
You understand? I'm going to get a little deeper. When you truly are passionate and you believe in the things of the Lord in your life, you are passionate about it. You make a, you make a commitment to fulfill what you said you're going to do for God. Because when we don't, it's not about greed anymore. It's about are you kin or are you non-kin? You know, this is basically an on-point statement because miser is someone who hoards wealth and tries to spend little of it as possible. But Barchi is saying that they are more imposters than misers. And that makes sense because God has in many instances to some degrees, look at this, God has many, in many instances, in some degrees, overlooked the side of greed on a person in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. Greed, God has overlooked. In some degree, but imposters, he brings out to light. A greedy person, the Lord will say, hey, I can work with a greedy person. But an imposter, he cannot work with. You have to understand, what God did here was just take out the imposters, the fakes. You know, they pretended to become a part of the Christian community. That was the problem with, with Ananias and Sapphira. They, they pretended, they put on the mask. That they were a part of the Christian community, but in reality, they were still a part of the uh, Roman uh, uh, community. They were still a part of the Roman uh, status. And so, let me say this. You call yourself a Christian, you know, and, and, and I'm going to believe it with all of my heart that that's what you call yourself. But by our fruits, we shall be known. And, and, and don't, don't think I'm, you know, throwing a rock at you. I just want you to just kind of ponder on this idea for a little bit. You know, you, you call yourself a Christian and you say, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're still keeping the world in your life. It, is still, it still has a stronghold on your mind. It still has a stronghold on your impulses. It still has a stronghold. You know, there's still fakeness in you that you have not surrendered to God. And, you know, I'm not talking about not being perfect. God is not waiting for perfect people to make it to heaven. I will not make it to heaven perfect I will not make it to heaven saying I never sin but what I'm saying is are you surrendering where you need God in your life because where you need God in your life and you surrender what you are stating is I don't know if I'm going to get it right tomorrow but I'm giving it to God listen I don't know if I'm going to get this right in a month but I'm giving it to God you know, I don't know if this is going to change in my life in the next year, but I'm giving it to God. See, that is what matters. That was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They were holding back and they were secretly playing the part. They pretended to be a part of the Christian community. And I believe they tried to do what Barnabas did in the previous chapter. If you read the story in chapter 4, Barnabas... Uh, um, whose name was changed to Barnabas as a disciple, uh, Barnabas sold his property and gave the money. And I believe that Ananias and Sapphira are right there looking at the praise that they received after they sold their property and put the money at the feet of the apostles. He said, oh, boy, uh, uh, Barnabas sold his property and look at how they treated him. They accepted him and they did not even question that he was a part of the community. So now what we got to do is sell our property and give some money, and they'll accept us too. Oh man, tell you something, don't replicate on, on how somebody else is functioning in their Christian life. It has to be genuine. 
I pray that we're not robots in this place. I pray that each and every one of you, listen to me. I pray that each and every one of you in this place have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because I preach good, not because the church smells good, not because it is, you know, it's a beautiful place, you know. No, no, no. I pray that you have an individual relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, when you stand before God, that's the only thing that's going to matter. It's not going to matter if you brought in a Bible. It's not going to matter if you wore a tie. It's not going to matter if you walked in, you know, prestigious. It's not going to matter if you were a part of a ministry. It's not, no, what's going to matter when you stand before God is if you had a relationship with Him. If you had a relationship with the Master. If you had Him in your heart. If He was the Savior of your life. That is what's going to matter. That's what matters. And so they pretended to be a part of the community and they weren't. They were fake. They were counterfeit. They were imposters. You say, Pastor, that's a harsh word. I pray that you would start seeing the counterfeit in your life. Don't get discouraged. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. Let it motivate you to get closer to the Lord. But I want you to see that their devotion to sowing this amount was only a motivation of gain to honor for themselves. And it was a cheap, it was a cheap gift to the community. Although it seemed generous, the reality is that they gave for the sake of status and not for love for the community. Now striking that a lie to the community is equated with a lie to the Spirit of God. Wow. And a lie about resources is as serious as a lie about religious matters. Wow. You know, we have seen already that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to form God's people into a community that uses resources in accordance with a deep concern for others. It is not surprising then that Ananias and Sapphira's, you know, Sapphira's faked act of generosity is depicted as falsifying the work of the Holy Spirit. Their false generosity and their attempt to deceive the Holy Spirit are a threat to the identity of the Christian community. And I'm telling you, the church is dealing with a threat to the, the identity of the church. And I'm going to tell you why. Because there are a lot of fakes in the church. And we're not believed anymore because there are a lot of people doing travesuras in the, in the church of the community of God. There are a lot of cheaters out there that are doing things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's not right. You might say, well, shame on them. But I tell you, even you too, there are some of us as well that we're saying, I want my family to come to the Lord. I want my friends to come to the Lord. But they see some tranza still in your life. They see some fakeness still in your life and they don't take you serious for a reason. Boy, it got quiet. You're telling them to give their heart to the Lord and they see you still undecided. You're telling them to get closer to the Holy Spirit and they see you undecided. You want them to see how you tithe. You want them to see how you come to church weekly. You want them to see on how you carry a Bible. You want them to see on how you get dressed up on Sundays. But all they see is what you didn't bring. The fruit comes out. You see, many of us, we're trying to make an impact on the world with a half heart. God is saying, you ain't never going to make an impact 
on the world with a half heart. You got to be all in. You're not understanding me because the days are coming where a church is going to be expected to be all in. All in for the glory of God. All in for God's praise. All in, you know, to make an impact for the world. You want to win people in your family? Get all in. You want to win friends for the Lord? Get all in. You want to win a community for Jesus? Get all in. Nothing holding back. No reserves. Say, God, I'm all in, God. I'm all in for Fresno. I'm all in for California. I'm all in for the United States of America. I'm all in for my family. I'm all in for my sons. I'm all in for my job. I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. God says you're going to do it by being all the way in. None of this Ananias and Sapphira spirit. You got to be all the way in. You got to get rid of the fakeness. Get all in. Jump in. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. You know, we detect deceit from Ananias and Sapphira's concerning money. But it does not end at money, church. As the people of God, I believe this goes beyond the money point. What if their, their deceit in, in the dealings of work, you know, showed dishonesty, but they're faking it as honesty? Yeah, I'll, I'll put it like this. How can you be a Christian and cheat people? And when it comes out to light, when it comes out to light, look at that. The Bible talks about, you know, shows us in the book of Leviticus on how to be honest in our dealings. Did you know that? The Bible in Leviticus teaches us how to, God told the people of Israel even how to barter, even how to share, even how to sell. And as the people of God, we do a lot of dishonest things. You need to be careful because you can rob man, but you can't rob God. You can cheat man, but you can't cheat God. You can try to put a cheat on God, but it'll end up being a cheat on yourself. <laughs> Amen? And so we detect that Ananias and Sapphira, they were dishonest about some stuff. And it ended up backfiring on them. But I want to just say, where are you? Where are you dealing with deceit in your dealings? You know, may, maybe it's simply serving your job. And, and, and I'm going to get even deeper. Maybe it's just serving your job and your superiors as you should, as if you're serving the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Do you serve the Lord? Uh, do you serve your job as if you're serving the Lord? You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? What do you mean? Do you go to your job and do your job as if you're doing it unto the Lord and not unto man? Wow. Now, some might say, I do, I do. No, no, let's, let's get deeper. Do you do it for a raise or do you do it as unto the Lord? Because the Lord says, if you're doing it for a raise, the Lord's not in the picture. If you're doing it to be the favorite, the Lord's not in the picture. You have the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira. Your benefit. Wow. You ain't liking me this morning. That's all right. I'm not preaching for you to like me. You need to hear this. Because if you want to prosper, if you want to get ahead in life, if you want to see God's favor over your life, there needs to be honesty in your dealings. There needs to be honesty in what you bring. 
Why? Because you are not representing yourself anymore. You have been bought with a price. And you are not representing your own corporation. You are representing the kingdom of God. You are representing yourself as a disciple of the Lord. You are representing yourself as the community of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time you do something that's not godly, it falls back on the community. And I'll tell you something. God does not like for a bad testimony to fall back on the community. It will come out. It will come out. And so... Colossians chapter 3 verses 22 to 24 declares even about having a fakeness in being even an, an employee for an employer. Look what it says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them. Look, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And whatever you, your task is, put yourselves into do it as unto the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, some of us who say, I'm nice today because I think I'm getting a raise. Mentiras. Act right because you're a Christian, not because you want to raise. Be a good worker because you, you serve the Lord, not because you're the next position somebody got fired and I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. That's traendo Krispy Kreme in the morning to your employer and coffee. That's why we come out hurt when we don't get the position. Right? That's why we get hurt when we don't, uh, it's not for you, it's for the. Well, I was doing this and I was staying late and I was doing overtime. I thought you were doing that because you were a good employee. Well, I am, I am. You're throwing that, well, I am, I am. Well, well then why are you mad? Because you weren't doing it unto the Lord. You were doing it for your benefit. And see, I believe that if we're going to begin, begin to make an impact in our church here, Step of Faith Church. If we're going to begin to make an impact for our church, our community, our city, our state, our family, our friends, our children, our neighbors, our superiors, our co-workers for the glory of Jesus Christ. We need to start being about it. We need to start being about the kingdom. We need to start being about the character of Jesus Christ. No more fakeness in our life. I don't believe one bit that the devil has the power to harm the church from the outside. The credibility of the church, the testimony of the church, and the truthfulness of the church. Or the power to discredit the church. But the Bible declares that judgment begins in the house. Listen to this. Judgment begins in the house. Not outside of the house. Judgment begins in the house. It is the imposter spirit that is hurting the community of the church. It's the imposters that are being a hindrance to the work of God. It's the fake people, the artificial people in the faith. And let me say, we know this. We can fool each other, but there's no fooling God. He knows the scales. He knows the balances. He has the checks and balances. God. Lord, have mercy. And he knows when there's a disbalance and something needs to come out to light. You know, I believe that this word this morning, the power of your word is gaining back credibility. Listen to me. This is, I'm prophesying over your life. I pray and I know that this word is going to teach you how to get back your, get back your credibility. It's going to teach you how to get back your credibility. Not for yourself, but because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. People are going to start trusting you again. People are going to start holding you up on a high standard. Why? Because you're no longer doing it for them. You're doing it for God. You'll never fail. I've always told my interns this. I've always told them. 
You'll never fail at what you do if you always do it for God. You'll never fail people. You'll never fail your family. You'll never fail your loved ones if you always do it for God. Why? Because when you do it for God, you have a higher standard. When you do it for people, you'll see, did they treat me good? Were they nice to me today? You know, did they give me something? Do I need to do it? No, but when you do it for God, you're doing it whether they gave you a raise. You're doing it whether they treated you nice. You're doing it whether, you know, they deserve it. You're doing it for God. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord this morning. God is teaching you how to get your word back. You're going to see how you're going to impact your cousins, your family, your friends, your co-workers. You're going to see how you're going to, you know, start impacting people with your life. What can we learn from this tragic, tragic but very frank lesson of Ananias and Sapphira, you know, their imposter uh, uh, spirit and, you know, their dishonesty in the faith? Number one is this, and write this down. We learn that what? Through the life of Ananias and Sapphira, we learn, number one, never pinch the proceeds. Right? Never pinch the proceeds. Never. Never pinch the proceeds. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know, I'm, I, I, I kind of like, I'll just say it. I kind of like the gangster movies, you know, I, 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 it's cool. But, you know, but, but, the, but, but check it out. The whole reason of it is because of the government part of it. You know, the code of conduct within a, 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 a mafia, not gangs, because, you know, gangs, are, they're, they're a little bit more wild. But when it comes to the mafia system, they're a little bit more organized, okay? And so what I like about this, you know, the Italian mafia, you know, because they played it to a certain degree that there was a code of conduct, right? And when there was, when there was a, a quick lick, you didn't pinch. You waited until it got counted, and then it was dispersed. Come on, somebody, you, you're understanding what I'm saying. But, but there, there are many Christians that don't wait for it to get counted. We pinch, Okay? We lose conduct as believers. And we don't wait for, for us to be in accord. We do it kind of like thinking God is not seeing us pinch the product. And God's like, I seen you, skim. We're coming in to God saying, here it is, God. And God's like, no. We're... What, Lord? What, God? You're asking for the receipt. Give me the receipt. Why, Lord? <laughs> Put the receipt in my hand. We get offended when God starts looking at the receipt. Hey, I didn't tell you to get orange juice. Who told you to get orange juice? Right? We're, why do we need bread? Come on, somebody say amen. Right? We start skimming the product. We got the card, the company card, and we start swiping, right? Right? And the Lord says, you're, you're skimming. Right? You know it belongs to God, but you're using it for your own benefit. We got to be careful that we're not using, we're not pinching the proceeds. Somebody say amen. 
And so verse 1 and 2 says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to share the difference between two words here, and, and I know you didn't catch it, but I want to bring it out to you. I want to bring it to your attention. There are two words that are used in these verses that put into perspective a great problem for Ananias and Sapphira. He kept back for himself some, then brought only a part. <laughs> Believe it or not, some relates to a greater amount than part. How many say amen? Amen. So if I want to explain, you say, no, that's not right, Pastor. Some and part are like the same thing. No, no, let me, let me put it in a sentence for you. If, if I wanted to explain the amount of something I wanted without an exact number, but a good amount, I would use some of. Can I have some of? Means I want a good amount of it, but can I have some of without an exact amount? I'm not saying five, ten. I just say, hey, can I have some of? We automatically think of a good amount. But if I used in a sentence, hey, can I have a part of? <laughs> right? You're only going to cut a small piece of the pie. You like part. Right? You don't even space your hands out because you don't want... This is how the piece of the pie is going to get cut, right? You go like this, right? Because that's how big the piece you want to give. And so when you use part and you use some, when you look here, the Bible says that he, with his knowledge, the wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it at the apostles' feet. You know, we, we know that for God, it has to be all of. First, uh, you know, we cannot use the sum of with God. We cannot even use the part of with God. It has to be all of with God. This is the, the thing about serving the Lord. You don't bring to the Lord some of. God is not asking for part of. He's asking for all of. Man. You want to be blessed in your life? Don't bring them some of. You want to be blessed in your life? Don't bring them part of. You want to really be blessed in your life? Bring them all of. All of your life. All of your heart. All of your mind. All of your soul. All of your strength. Everything you got. All of it. Not part of it. Not some of it. All of. This couple pinched the proceeds. And let me tell you, they had pretty fat fingers. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 declares, God did not spare his own son. Now you might say, what does this have to do? Listen, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Amen. Now, I would think that, yes, you would see in, you say, well, pastor, that has nothing to do with what you're saying. Because you're looking at it in the perspective of God gave his son up. He didn't spare him. He gave him up for all of us, us all. Right? But not only us all, but us all. All of us. He gave them up for all of us, not part of us. All of us. Not some of us. All of us. And see, if God wants all to be saved, then he wants all of all who are saved. Come on, somebody. And we start pinching the proceeds in our life. Where are you pinching at in your time? Where are you pinching at in your mind? Wow, where are you pinching at, you know, and the things you like to do. And you're, you're, you're pinching God's time. 
You're pinching God's what you should set aside for strength for Him. You're pinching the things that belong wholly to God. You're asking for more time off so that you can serve God more. You're saying, I want to work less, you know, and more pay God. You're praying, God, you know, bless me, God, so that I would work less. But butt me up in my pay so, you know, that it would balance out because I want to serve you more. I want more time to pray. You know, I want more time to serve you. You know, and when that time and space arrives, you start pinching it for other things in your life. Let me tell you something. Pray like you said you were. Evangelize like you said that you were. Read like you said that you were. Teach like you said that you were. Volunteer like you said that you were. Serve like you said that you were. Commit like you said that you were. Tithe like you said that you were. Give like you said that you were. Don't pinch it. Do it. Do what you said you were going to do. When God opened up the ability for you to have more time on your life. We learned that number two, your covenant is with God, not man, God. Verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Yeah, we cannot fool God. And a quote from a man named me, you might say, man, man this sounds old. Well, yeah, I love that because it, it seems like they thought a little bit more clearer back then than now. <laughs> but, it, you know, his name's Ebenezer Erskine. And he said this, so often... Listen to this, because it impacts impact your life forever. So often we give God a partial obedience. But look at this. We do not, we do not dare to disobey. But we do not, care, uh, do not care to obey fully. So we compromise. We do some of what we should, thus removing the stigma of disobedience. But we refrain from the most difficult or the most objectionable or uncomfortable part and thus try to get the best of both worlds. Disobedience and obedience. You don't dare disobey God, but you don't do everything God told you. <laughs> Listen to this. You don't dare disobey God, but you don't do everything God told you. We want the best of both worlds. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 22 declares, Tell me, Samuel said, Does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? He said, No! He doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to obey Him. God doesn't want your sacrifices and offerings. He wants your obedience. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 23 declares, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. It will go well with you when you obey God. Doors will open up for you when you obey God. God will take you to conquer great heights when you obey Him. God wants obedience, not sacrifices. Cheap sacrifices. Cheap check. You know, I, you know I, I, I don't do nothing, but, you know, I write the check out. Cheap. Cheap. You're handing pennies. I think a widow giving all of that she had and it being one penny is more than the $1,000 check you wrote out. And the Bible proves it to be that because she gave her life. She gave everything she had. You gave some we got to give 
Oh. We learn, number three, that God does not use anything beyond your disposal. Listen. These are principles that are going to change your life forever. God does not use anything that's beyond your disposal. He will never ask you for anything beyond your disposal. And I'm going to explain what I mean by this. Verse 4. While it remained unsold. Look what Peter told them. He exhorted them. He said, while it remained unsold. Verse 4. Did it not remain your own? Right? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal to give? I believe that this property had no liens on it. The property that Ananias and Sapphira sold had no debt. It was a pure profit sale. Now, I'd understand if you said, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to give the profits, the proceeds, right? And they said, but on the home, after I sell it, there's still $38,000 that still needs to be paid off. Listen. There still needs to be $38,000 that needs to be paid off on the land. But whatever's left, I'm bringing it. God honors that. God honors that. Because God will never ask you beyond your disposal. You paid off the $38,000, whatever's left. You said, Pastor, here is for the work of the ministry. You think I'm going to say it's not good enough? No, God says you gave what was intended. But God will not leave you with debt after. That's the God that I serve. God will never ask you beyond your disposal. God will never ask you to do something that's beyond your reach. God will never leave you in debt. He's a good father. Come on, somebody. Bless the name of the Lord. God will never leave you in debt. I've seen it time and time again where I trust the Lord and God chose me because I obeyed him. I obeyed him. I obeyed him. He blesses me. And do you know what? There's those other times where I test God. Yes, I test the Lord. You say, how, Pastor? How do you test the Lord? I'll even give God what needs to be used to pay. Why? Because if God was faithful and created abundance out of what I gave, that calculated it equals out perfectly, right? If I give them beyond that, boy, it's abundance. It's a bonus. I'm creating for myself the wealth of God. And I'll tell you something, you'll begin, you'll begin to see the fruit of how you obey God when you start giving with all of your heart and not just some of your heart and not just part of your heart. When you decide all of my heart, all of my heart in this, all of my heart in that for God, all of my heart in this for God, all of my heart when I do that, all of my heart for, for God in that thing, you're going to see God begin to create abundance in your life. Why? Because you trusted him enough. You trusted him enough to say not some, not part, not partial, not uh, part time. No, full time for God. I'm doing it for God. For God. I believe that this property had no liens. It was paid off and once sold, it was free to disperse and give at the disposal of their discretion. No questions asked. And I believe that this is what made this donation hard for them. To just give it all to the work of the ministry. The need of the community because it could serve as hard profit for them. Simple, plain, straight, forward profit. And I'll tell you something. When we don't have, we promise the Lord great things. And then when we get it, we start skimming it. I don't care what lucrative opportunities come my way. If it belongs to God, I'm not touching it. Listen to me. I don't care what opportunities come my way. I don't care how lucrative it sounds. If it belongs to God, I'm not touching it. Don't you bargain with what belongs to God. Don't you bet on what belongs to God. 
Don't you invest what belongs to God. God doesn't need for you to invest it. God needs for you to obey Him with it. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't say, well, Lord, if I put a quarter of it into the machine, maybe a thousand will come out. Ten dollars in. That's ten dollars. You've skimmed God. Somebody say amen. Please, just somebody just agree. It's the truth. Don't skim the Lord. Give Him exactly what He's asking you. You say, Pastor, you're still talking about money. No, your time. You said, Lord, I'm going to give you an hour to pray. And you gave the Lord 30 minutes. Shame on you. I have every right to say that. Because you said you would give the Lord an hour. You said you would give the Lord an hour. Lord, give me this job and I promise you I'll be faithful. And the Lord gives you the job and you haven't been at church. <laughs> Come on. Am I talking truth or not? Lord, I, 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 they didn't give me an hour break. You know, they gave me a 30-minute lunch. Lord, bless me, Lord, to get to that position where I get an hour lunch. I promise you I'll pray and I'll read and, I, and, and, and still have not prayed and read on your lunch. Come on, somebody. We ask God for things we don't follow through with. Fakeness. You come back in. Hey, God bless you guys. Hey, God bless you. Hey, I'm back to work. The Lord says, cheap check. I told him, God bless you, Lord. I, I told them that I love you. And I told them, I told them that I was praying. I told them that I was reading. And the Lord says, but you didn't. Cheap check. Fakeness. Imposter. Ooh, man, let's go to the next point, please. <laughs> we learn about Ananias and Sapphira, uh, number four, and I finish here. We learn the truth of why we don't follow through with God. We learn why we don't follow through with God. And verse four declares, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart and you have not lied to man, but you have lied to God? You know, we pray... For a follow-through spirit. How many pray for a follow-through spirit? Okay. How many pray, God, just give me the strength to follow through? How many pray for a follow-through spirit? Have you ever said, God, I'm going to do this for you, but give me the strength to do it? Have you, ever, have you ever prayed anything like that before? Okay. So you've prayed for a follow-through spirit. Okay. God bless you. God bless you for that. But I want to give you another piece of the puzzle that's going to teach you to start following through. Okay. We have prayed for a follow-through spirit, for strength to do what we said we would do, but we do not seek for transparency and deliverance and more clarity to see the things in our lives that we know are hindrances and will hinder our commitments to God. So don't just pray that God would give you strength. Pray that God would reveal what is in your life that's going to hinder your commitment. We say, God, give me strength to do what I said I'm going to do. But we don't say, God, search in me the things that are going to stop me from doing what I want to do for you. It's kind of like we, we're asking for strength, but we leave the devil inside. <laughs> right? You know, I want you to understand something here. Although Satan had his hand in this thing here. Because the Bible says that Satan got them to do this thing. I don't want you to just say, it's the devil's fault. It's the devil's fault. You know, just look at this. The devil might have spirited them up 
you know, this couple to doing what they did. The devil might have solicited them in doing it, and Satan, but Satan only did it because he was, what he was doing came in conjunction with what was already in their hearts. Satan only did what was already in their hearts. He came into agreement with what was already in their hearts. And what was in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira? Covetousness. Greed. Selfishness. Me, me, me. And not all God, God, God. And see, I want you to see this. Their, their failure wasn't in not following through. Their failure was not giving to the Lord what was in them. You see, wanna, you want to start following through in your commitments with God? Start giving to God the things that you know are hindrances. We usually pray for God to strengthen our successes, but we don't ask God to deliver us of our, our failures. We ask God, God, make great where I am good, but we don't say, God, save me where I am bad. We don't pray, God, deliver me where I am weak. Deliver me where I don't want to obey you. Deliver me, God. Teach me, Lord, where I don't want to say yes to you. We only say, God, make me good where I'm good. Instead of deliver me where I'm bad. Nine out of ten times. Well, I'm just going to put it like this. Ten out of ten times. You know when you make a commitment to God. Somebody say amen already. You already know where I'm going at. Okay? Say amen. Say amen, pastor. Okay. Ten out of ten times when you make a commitment to God, you know already the hindrances you're going to deal with. You already know where you're going to struggle. You already know where you're going to feel like, uh, you're already looking ahead. Yeah, me conozco. Yeah, I already know myself already. Right? Yeah, me conozco. Amen. Oh, Lord, give me the strength to do it. <laughs> God's like, the strength is there, mijo. What you need to ask me is to give you the authority to overcome those things in your life. Lord, I want to pray every morning. <laughs> but you're already thinking already, Lord, I commit. I'm going to pray. I'm going to wake up every morning to pray for you, Lord. And you're already thinking in your mind, I love to sleep. Oh. I snooze my alarm five times. Oh, man. You already start thinking about already. Oh, man, I hate mornings. I'm not a good person in the morning, man. Right? Or we say, you know what? I'm going to evangelize that person, Lord. If, if you give me the opportunity to see that person again, Lord, I'm going to evangelize to them. And the Lord's setting up an appointment once again. He's going to set you up a week from now. But you're already thinking in your mind, but I'm too timid. I, 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 I'm too afraid. You already know already what's going to hinder your commitment. And the Lord is saying, quit asking me for strength. You know strength is going to be there. What you need to ask me for is transparency. That you would see in my eyes what I see in you. When you start looking at your life through the lens of God's eyes, you'll begin to fall in love with the things that need to change in your life. We'll always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I, I'll do it. Right? We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. 
We are our best critic. We are our best. Uh, we always say, you'll do it. You'll be okay. But in reality, we know you're going to struggle. When you start realizing you're going to struggle, get on your knees. Ask the Lord. Start asking the Lord. Don't ask Him for strength. Say, Lord, you already know. I already can see it already where I'm going to fail you at. I already know where. I, I can already see in advance where I'm going to start putting you second. God, teach me to put you first there, God. When that time comes, God, start speaking in advance. Start saying, God, I already know already. I'm always going to change my mind. By Wednesday, I'm already saying, ah, never mind, God. When Wednesday comes, God, give me the strength. God, remind me that I need your help, Father, to maintain myself, Lord. To maintain my spirit. To maintain myself connected to you, God. Don't ask God for strength you know is already there. Ask God to the, the courage to look at yourself in transparency where you know you're going to need Him the most. Pastor, I want to start following through. Then you need to quit cheating yourself. Psalms 19.12 says, Who can discern his own errors? David said, Cleanse me from my, my own hidden faults. Look at that. Psalms 139 verses 24. David also said, Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of the everlasting life. That's what you need to tell the Lord. You need to tell the Lord, cleanse me from my hidden faults. You need to tell the Lord, Lord, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of the everlasting life. Point it out, God. Point it out. Point it out, God. Point it out. If there's anybody that I'm going to take tough criticism from, it's you, God. Point it out, God. Because I just made you a promise I want to fulfill. And I need the strength to do it. And God say, the strength is there. What you need is the ability to be courageous, to overcome what you know is going to hinder you. Yeah.